How many is excited for baptisms next week and the week following? Amen. I look forward to that every year. Uh, love the food. Love the interaction. Uh, love everybody coming out to the Creek Bank with us, and we want you to come, if at all possible. And if you've never been baptized, there will be no better time uh, the next week to join in with us and get in the water. Uh, we're, we know of several of uh, the kids from Children's Church uh, that's going to be baptized. I've got adults that's been messaging me saying they're going to be baptized, so it's going to happen again this year. Um, we as a church are so blessed and grateful over the past decade that Leslie and I have been pastors here, year after year after year, we've seen dozens and dozens and dozens come to know the Lord and people to be baptized and follow Jesus and his command to us to be baptized, water baptized, and we're so grateful to have had that experience. And so many of you have led people to the Lord, and each year you come out to the baptism day to take the plunge, we call it, and you join in the water and you help baptize those that you have affected to come to the knowledge of Jesus. And that's a beautiful thing. Uh, there's scriptures that say that Jesus didn't baptize many of them, but his disciples did. So it's not just the pastor's job to baptize people or the youth pastor's job to baptize people. If there's somebody that you've been involved in their relationship with Jesus and you led them to the Lord and they've made a decision this past year uh, to follow him, I encourage you to get them there the next two weeks and you join in the water with us and you help baptize those that God has allowed you to affect their life. Thankful for last week as uh, Brother Kent Parrish was here with us and so grateful to have our missionaries uh, show up and come on in person. Uh, it's the first time we've had a, a missionary in person for some time and Kent and Paige was some of the earliest ones that when Les and I become pastors here at the church that uh, we took on uh, as missionaries that we supported. Uh, we're going to increase... Uh, their missions, uh, our commitment to them and their mission uh, over the past next four years. They come in for a year, uh, raise support, and then go out for another four years. So that's what he was doing last week when he was here. Uh, his wife was down in Winchester sharing with the church at Winchester uh, that Leslie and I have been to multiple times the church down there at Winchester, a great church. Um, his wife was down there talking to them last week. Um, Church in America is changing. Uh, Kent talked about it last week. And some of that may be for the better. Some of it may not be. But God doesn't change. He remains the same. And Kent and I talked about how that, you know, the method of the gospel being shared can change. The method can change. But the mission and what God sent us to do to go into all the world and share the gospel has to remain the same. Jesus is still Lord. We don't have a new God. We have the same God. And he loves us unconditionally. And we need to be thankful for that. So this is week three um, in the Unclean Things series uh, that we're sharing, and it's about Second Corinthians chapter 
6, verse 17, it says, Therefore come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. Week one, we talked about the Torah and how that um, the Torah is the first five books of the Bible, and it establishes everything that Jesus talked about, that he taught, that he lived out in his life. He was a Jewish person. He was born and raised in Israel other than the years that he was separated and uh, was run out of town basically as an early child and went down into Egypt and spent some years. But Israel was his home, and he was a Jewish person by birth, by religion, and by the government that he was established under. But the Torah was important to the Jewish people then, it's important to them today, and it's important to you and I. It is the Old Testament, but it's still a testament of God. It is still something we should read and understand in the light of the lens of Jesus and his life that he lived, being the example that we would follow. The Torah. I loved what Kent talked about last week and Paul and Barnabas and shared how he, Kent, had lived some unclean ways in his earlier life, but that God cleaned up a sinner and made a missionary out of somebody that didn't have much ambition or dreams or things he wished to accomplish in life, but God had plans for him. And I loved it that he shared with us that God has plans for us. To you young people that maybe just graduated high school and you don't know exactly what you want to do yet, that's okay. But one thing I would encourage you to do is seek God and what's his plan for your life and live those out and your life will be a lot better off. I've looked for and longed for the day, all the days of my ministry in the day when somebody that is in a church that I'm pastoring would be called to be a missionary. It's something I look forward to someday. It's a prayer that I have. Pastor Wells, who was my pastor at Raceland Church, he didn't send out a lot of missionaries, but he sent out a lot of ministers. Leslie and I are one of more than 20 couples that he sent out to go pastor other churches or to go lead ministries in other places. He wasn't afraid to let people go because he knew in releasing, when we let go of what we have, God will give us in return because he blesses us for giving. And Pastor Wells was always gracious to just lay his hands on those that were called to ministry and he would bless them as they left. And I'm thankful for his ministry in my life. But Kent and Paige Parrish are a dynamic couple that God has called into the mission field. And I thank God that he has gifted us the ability to partner with them. As was stated last week, Tabby was the voice for the voiceless of those children there in a foreign land that needed a bed to lay on. And she encouraged us and challenged the church to step forward and do something about it and we did and I'm grateful for those opportunities where God allows us to partner with missionaries.
Amy Brown went on a missions trip a few years ago, a short-term mission trip to uh, uh, South America, and she still has pictures, and a lot of them, she saved them in our Dropbox for the church, and every now and then I go back and look through those pictures of the little kids that she was able to bless. But in this Unclean Things series, God tells us to touch not the unclean thing and come out from amongst those amongst us and be separate. And to separate ourselves is a tall task. It's not easy to separate. In our human nature, we all too often tend to lean to our own understanding. The Bible tells us to not lean on our own understanding, but acknowledge Him, and He will direct our paths. God is intending to come amongst us as the Father that we just sung about, to be a Father to us, to give us wise counsel, to give us advice on how to live holy lives. But in the Torah, sometimes things are black and white, and it's hard. And there's areas in it where it really doesn't spell out the exact details of exactly what to do in situations. Has anybody in this room ever faced a situation where you didn't know what to do? You didn't know where to go. You didn't know what to say. You didn't know how to act. And you looked through the Scripture, and you tried to find a verse, but you just couldn't come to a consensus of what am I supposed to do in this situation so another part in the Jewish culture that they lived in was something that's called the Talmud and that's the uh, writings of other authors that would take the Torah and spell out how is this Torah to be lived out in real life application so they filled in the blanks And there's a lot of the Talmud that you can pick up and read about the Old Testament that is wise counsel, that is good advice and sound advice. But anytime humans place their thoughts on the foundations of Scripture, they can twist it and they can make it into something that's not intended to be. I want to follow God in the way that he sees fit. And I don't want to place my ideals on his word. Amen? Hopefully you don't either. So this Talmud is a rabbinic debates that went on for centuries. Where that they would debate what the Torah was saying in different aspects of the first five books of the Bible. They wanted to know how to apply it to their life. Jesus once said, you strain a gnat and swallow a camel. And he was saying that to individuals that had come to a certain point in their life where the Old Testament told them not to allow unclean things to enter their body that they were literally 
taking cloth and straining the water because they was afraid that maybe even a gnat would be in their drinking water. And if they took that gnat in, it would defile them because a gnat is an unclean thing. Was that God's intent to make it so hard to know Him? Even to the point of straining your water. They was doing all those things and they was going to extremes to make sure they lined up with Scripture. But at the same time, they allowed other things to go because they were paying so much attention to these little bitty small things that they allowed big things to go unnoticed. And they had entered their life. Jesus said it's not what goes into the man that defiles the man, but what comes out. We need to be careful in what we say. So commentaries is what we call them in today's culture, today's world, is religion. And I love commentaries. I love reading commentaries. And I love going back and looking at commentaries to see what others thought about text that we read and study. And it's important to do that, I believe. But the way I look at that is, yes, I love Matthew Henry's commentaries, and I love it that Sister Gartha, early on when I become a Christian, she handed me a Matthew Henry commentary and said, here, look at this and see if what you're thinking about a verse lines up with what he thought. And sure, it was hundreds of years ago, but Matthew Henry was a wise person that spent a lot of hours digesting the Word of God. I hold it in high regard. But it doesn't hold the same place in my heart as the Word of God. God's Word establishes things. It's the end all and be all. So a modern day way of looking at this, and I've heard it on podcasts recently and different things I've listened to. How many's heard of Billy Graham? So Billy Graham is one of the greatest evangelists of modern day. Billy Graham had a rule, and they call it the Billy Graham rule. And even people in the business world that's not even religious at all know what the Billy Graham rule is. And the Billy Graham rule is pretty simple. Never be alone with a woman other than your spouse. But it's a Billy Graham rule. And basically what Billy Graham would do if he would counsel some person that would come to him, a female, sure she could be in his office, but he would never close the door. He never in his life, his Christian life, ever got in a vehicle with another woman other than his wife and drove down the road. Never alone. But it's a Billy Graham rule. And that's a pretty good rule. But that's his commentary of what Scripture teaches. One of the Ten Commandments is not to covet another man's wife. So it's scriptural based what he's saying. But if you end up fouling up and end up in a situation where that you pick up some woman that's broke down somewhere on the road and you drive them home, I don't believe in my heart that God's going to say, oh no, I'm going to hold them in account and they're not going to get into heaven because they broke the Billy Graham rule. Amen? Amen? 
It's a good rule, but don't hold it as gospel. The gospel is Jesus died for your sins. We're sinners. He was not. He's a good, good father. He's perfect in all of his ways. I'm imperfect in most of my ways. I try to live by the Billy Graham rule. In all aspects of my life, I try to live by the Billy Graham rule. But it's not the gospel. It's wise counsel. It's good counsel. But there are situations that you may find yourself at work. My secretary one time, my car is five blocks up the street. It's a dealership. Will you drive me up there to get my car? Should I say no, walk? <laughs> no, I will drive her in my car up the street. Leslie and I have trust of each other that we trust each other. It's okay. And because I broke the Billy Graham rule doesn't mean that I went against the gospel. Might have went against Billy Graham, but he had higher standards than me. The Word of God is to be applied. But I'm afraid that many of us as Christians quote more than we apply. One of them that I say all the time that Leslie says, I quote it more than I apply it, is the Bible says, Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down on your wrath. How many's ever heard that? Yeah. Be angry, sin not. Let not the sun go down on your wrath. Because I'm my mother's son, I'll let the sun go down on my wrath for weeks at a time. <laughs> How many gets mad and can't let it go? Baloney. The rest of you's not raising your hand. Your chickens to speak the truth. Unless they'll call me out on this. Whenever we get ready to go to bed, maybe we've had heated words and arguing back and forth and bickering about something that don't even really matter. And she picked it, not me, right, always. Yeah. I'm perfect in all of my ways. And if I go to lay down and go to bed, the Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. And when she says that, it makes me even madder. Right, Chuck? Then I'm, going to, then I'm going to bed mad that I'm mad because Leslie's mad at me for being mad that I'm mad. But I do need to be better. The Bible says confess your faults one to another. <laughs> I just confessed part of my faults to you. I'm glad you never get to see that side of me. Well, some of you have, but we need to apply the Word of God more than we quote the Word of God. The greats of recent time, Charles Spurgeon, they called him the Prince of Preachers. Charles Spurgeon is a great, he has a great legacy. And he preached the gospel and thousands of people come to the knowledge of Jesus. Billy Sunday was another great evangelist. Just over a hundred years ago, Billy Sunday laid down her career and began to share the gospel. 
A.W. Tozer is another great author that I've read a lot of his books. Another one that's too smart for me to read his stuff is C.S. Lewis. I'm sure there's some people in the room that may have read C.S. Lewis. He's a theologian, but he's a layman that applied logic to Scripture and laid it out in terms where we can act on what Scripture teaches. One of the greatest I know of that is still alive today and he's transitioning from pastor to go off and do some other things that God has called him to do is Rick Warren, another great leader. So if we had a Torah of today, it would be us looking at these type of individuals and using their words and using their wisdom and using the books that they have written and using it as a basis to how we see Scripture. That's what the Torah and the Talmud is. But this series, we're wanting to take and know the difference from clean and unclean things. And I want us as bridge people in our community and in our culture and in the world we're living in and the people we affect to take the whole counsel of God and not only quote it, but live it. To give up on the unclean things that's in this world. Some people say this world is going to hell in a handbasket. And maybe that's true. There's a lot of unclean things that is going on in the world that we're living. But that doesn't mean that we as Christians have to dive into that and become unclean ourselves. Allow God to clean your heart. Allow His Holy Spirit to continue to minister to you, to challenge you, to convict you of all of our sins, all of our shortcomings. Christ doesn't want robots. He gives us liberty. But that liberty is confined to the parameters of Scripture. Not my will, but yours be done, was Jesus' words to His heavenly Father. Basically, Christ's prayer points us to the picture to give up on our opinions and study what, the heart, what is the heartbeat of God. What is unclean and what is clean? The Apostle Peter was reluctant to eat something unclean because in the Old Testament, in Leviticus, it told us not to eat things with cloven hooves. So it, it told him that this was unclean. So the world he was living in, and yes, he had lived three years with Jesus in ministry, and he had been a fisherman, and he had already had occupation, and he had a wife, he had kids, he had a mother-in-law, he had these situations going on in his life. But here he was in Joppa sharing the gospel and living in somebody else's house, and it says that he went up on the roof. This is Acts chapter 10. He goes up on the roof, and he, he is there praying and meditating, and it says he goes into a trance. And he sees this vision. And in this vision there's a, a, a blanket coming down. And as he sees it, this blanket comes down and he sees all these unclean animals in this blanket. And an angel comes and this angel says to Peter that's in this trance and in this vision and tells him to eat, rise and eat. He was hungry. When you're hungry, 
Sometimes you'll eat things that you don't even want. How many is a picky eater? Self, yeah, okay, I'm a picky eater. I like crackers, and I like crackers with anything I eat. I like crackers. Crackers are not unclean, and I'm glad they're not. Because if they were, it would be a struggle to get through life. So Peter had conditioned himself through the Torah, through the Talmud, through the rabbis of his day to declare what was clean and unclean. So he thought these things were unclean according to Scripture. So when the angel tells him, Peter, rise and eat, verse 14 says this, But Peter said, Not so, Lord. Talk about straining a gnat and swallowing a camel. When God tells you to eat, you better eat. Amen? When God tells you to fast, you better fast. Peter, the chosen disciple of Jesus, the one who he loved, the one that Jesus asked the most questions to, is telling Peter to rise and eat, you're hungry, and here's some food. And Peter's got his mind made up, no, it's unclean, I'm not doing it. Not so, Lord, no. How many of us are guilty of telling God no way too often? He tells us to do something? Nope, not going to do it. And there, here's his statement that he says to God. Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. I've never eaten anything unclean. And the voice spoke to him again the second time and said, What God has cleansed, you must not call common or unclean. God gets to declare clean and unclean. I do not get to decide that. So Peter had a hard time with that. But ended up, it was a picture of what he was getting ready to do, go do when he went to Cornelius' house, that Jesus was giving him an example of what you thought was unclean does not matter. Because the same way he looked at this food as unclean, it painted a picture for him what he was getting ready to go do in ministry, and Jesus was sending him to the people's house that just had crucified his Lord and Savior. He hated the Roman government. He hated the armed guards. He hated the centurions. They were the religious leaders, and they were the rulers of the land of that day. Rome had came and encamped and took over the nation that he was accustomed to loving. And this Roman centurion named Cornelius had a house, but it said that his alms had come up to God, and God took notice of it. He had prayed to God, and God heard his prayers. But he needed somebody to come and tell him about the gospel of Jesus. So this picture of this vision that Peter was experiencing was not actually about the food. It was about these people that he hated. 
These people that he disliked and had disdain for, I despise those type of people. They believe different than me. They're from a different country than me. They have a different skin color than me. I despise them because they're not like me. How pitiful is it that as Christians, we are all too often too much like Peter, deciding who God can love and who he cannot. Anybody guilty? Anybody telling God who he can save and who he can't? Well, that drug addict down the street, they've made their bed, let them lie in it, right? That's what we say all too often. God forbid that that's even words that a Christian would use. God loved the sinner. Jesus ate with the publican and sinners. And people didn't like it very much. The most religious of his day did not like it because he was there and exposed to sinners. God loves everyone. There is no one outside the condition of his love. So who would we declare is clean or unclean? And who are we to say whom God can love and who he can't? So if we want to look at this and find verses for this and scripture for this, we go to Romans. And this is Apostle Paul writing to the Romans that Peter had to go and witness to. And the beautiful story of that is, is Peter does get up. And there's two people that from Cornelius' house had come and got him. And they walked him for days to go to Cornelius' house. And he walks in and Peter goes in. And he don't even want to enter the threshold of their door because they're Romans. And he don't like them very much. So it would be like you or I in the culture in which we're living. And to put this in action steps for us. is somebody from ISIS coming to our house and asking us to come and share Jesus to their house. We as Americans, ha, not me, the Middle East, I'm not going. I've heard Christians say, let's drop a nuke on them, turn their land to ice or to, uh, to a glass and let God sort it out. They're too unclean for me to go talk to. They're too ungodly for me to witness to. I think we're way too far from Scripture when we use those kinds of words. We need to be careful. Romans 14 says, Accept the other believer who is weak in faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right, what is clean or what is wrong, unclean. For instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything, but another believer with a sensitive conscience will eat only vegetables. Anybody know any vegans? Is there any vegans in the house? I eat lunch sometimes with a, a person that's a vegan. I only eat vegetables. and They usually apologize that they're only eating this and I'm sitting there thinking, why, why do you have to apologize? Or why do you have to even talk to me about that? As a Christian, if you just want to eat vegetables, get all you want. Howie goes out in his yard and picks up stuff off the yard 
needs grass. If he wants to do that and it's got chicken poop on it, go ahead. I'm not going to. So I can't look down on him if he wants to eat plankton or whatever that stuff is or you people that like greens, go out and get them collard greens and all that stuff. You can have all of them you want. And actually, you can have mine too if they made enough for me. I don't want those things. Just yuck. I'm a meat and taters guy. So this verse is telling us, Paul is telling the Roman people, don't judge your brother and sister according to what they eat and say what is clean or unclean, what is edible or not edible. Peter what was told to him on that rooftop was, what God has cleansed, do not call unclean. And basically, what if you read through all of Romans 14, you're going to see that God has cleansed everything. The Bible says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It says that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. It is all his. So what is clean today in the New Testament world? Everything. God cleansed everything. So Paul is telling the Roman church, it's okay to eat vegetables if you want to eat vegetables. It's okay to eat meat if you want to eat meat. And basically, back then, they wouldn't eat a pig. Separated hooves, I'm not eating it. Leviticus tells me not to. I'm not eating it. Unclean, unclean. But what God has cleansed is okay. So today, we as Christians can enjoy a good slab of bacon with our pancakes. Or, if you're going to eat a salad, put bacon on it. It makes everything better. Amen. I miss Ruby Tuesdays up at work in Ashland. Because you go through there and get bacon bites. You could get ham. You could get everything, right? And put on your salad. It was awesome. But verse 3 says, those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those that do. For God has accepted them. Quit worrying about what everybody else is doing. Come on, somebody. In the world we're living in, we all need to hear this very important truth. Worry about you, O self. Amen. Inspect your own life. Quit inspecting everybody else's. Let God convict. He will, I promise you. His word isn't changing for whatever they're doing. God is still going to be God. It's still the truth, but he's a loving father, and sometimes we're not. Verse 4, who are you to condemn someone else's servant? Their own master will judge whether they... Stand or fall. And with the Lord's help, they will stand and receive his approval. With the Lord's help. So if there's a person that you know of that's falling short and coming up short and you do know that they're sinning or having issues or things going on, guess what? Jesus can cause them to stand or not stand. It's not your job to give them approval or disapproval. That's God's job. Verse 5, in the same way, some think that one day is more holy than another day, while others think that every day is alike. So we call it the Lord's Day. We meet on Sunday. There's some people 
And some churches, they won't meet on Sunday because they believe in the Old Testament Sabbath, and the Sabbath is the last, you know, that day, Saturday. So they will only worship on Saturday. And that's okay, too. Sabbath is a rest day, so it's not the first day. It's the last day of the week that they worship. We worship on the first day of the week. We shouldn't condemn them. They shouldn't condemn us. It's okay. Jesus told the woman at the well, it doesn't matter if you worship on this mountain or that mountain. There comes a day where God is longing for those to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Today is Juneteenth. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, Happy Juneteenth. It's a national holiday now. Juneteenth is. It started being celebrated back in 1865. Today, where freedoms were established for slaves in America. And they began celebrating the freedom that they had received. Thank God for freedom. How many is grateful for your freedom today? Land of the free, the home of the brave, right? We're, we're grateful for the nation that we grew up in, that God just granted us the ability to live here. I'm thankful for that freedom. And I'm thankful that the slaves were not continued in slavery for all of America's history, that there was a day where that somebody stood up and somebody fought for and somebody freed the slaves. Amen. But there's some Christians that are pretty mean that will say some pretty derogatory things to people that are celebrating Juneteenth. Far be it from me to tell somebody not to celebrate their freedom. It'd be like the world telling me I can't celebrate Easter because Jesus set me free. We should celebrate freedom. Juneteenth is a good day. And I celebrate with you. People from African American descent, I celebrate with you. As your pastor, I celebrate with you. As a church, we celebrate with you. Everybody look at your neighbor and tell them, Happy Juneteenth. Be careful what we say. Read all of Romans 14 if you want to see a lot more truth about freedom and liberty and how to live a godly life. Read the story of Acts chapter 10 and chapter 11 where the Peter gets told to do things that he didn't want to do. Let's clean up our judgment of others as a church. Let's clean up our own unclean thoughts and actions. And let's spur each other along to live the clean lives that God intends for us to live. Let's see if you'll play. Next Saturday is a community day. In the church downtown, Vanceburg Christian Church, they started this last year, and, and we went down, and we 
some people from church too here at the bridge went down and gave of our time and our efforts and basically they just clean up downtown the George Morgan house down there sometimes the yard doesn't get kept as good as it should and People volunteer their time to do that all year long, but this is the one day when we can go down and make the entire downtown area and leave it better than we found it. Christians need to be about community. And they've asked us again this year to encourage you, if you can, next Saturday and you don't have anything to do. I know everybody's busy and everybody has something to do. But if you don't have anything to do next Saturday morning, to come downtown at 8 o'clock, they're going to have some breakfast there and they're going to have prayer to start off with and then they're going to put us in groups and we're going to go out and serve our community. It's easy to gripe about what all gets done downtown. It's a whole other thing to go down there and help. I encourage you to do that. If you've never helped or never been involved in something, it's be a good place to go do it. They'll give you a free shirt. I've got mine on from last year. It's a community day shirt that we'll all wear. That way it's a collar and you can see downtown and it's very encouraging to walk through there and see so many people. And there was people there last year from the Baptist church, the Methodist church, the Christian church. And it's one of those days where we can be the church and not put our name on it. It's about Jesus's church loving a community and making it a better place. I encourage you next week, next Saturday, come and be part of that. If you would, bow your head and close your eyes. There are plenty of unclean things. Let's commit to refrain from touching them. Adam and Eve, they could have refrained from touching the fruit, but they didn't. And that act that they made in the Garden of Eden had consequences. And it even affected all the way to you and I. There was no sin in humanity prior to that. Our actions don't only affect us, they affect others. So I'm calling out the dads in this room today. the fathers for Father Day. Your actions have consequences for your family. Maybe you're like me and you go to bed angry when the Bible tells you not to. Maybe you say harmful things to those that you love over and over and over again. And God has been convicting you of it lately and telling you, be a better man. Maybe there's unclean things that come to your mind right now that the Holy Spirit is calling you out on and saying, lay it down. Let it go. Follow God. 
worship him. I'm going to pray for you right now. That God will help you. The way that Romans 14 says that he will. Draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. And God, we know that your word is true. That it establishes heaven and earth. And that you're perfect in all of your ways. And God, for the fathers in this room today. God, that are sitting here and knowing. There are imperfect things and unclean things in my life. That I need to turn over to you. And allow you to cleanse. God, we turn those over today. And we ask you to help us with those things. God, that you would cleanse us from the top of our head to the soles of our feet. Lord, that the things that we touch, the things that we see, the things that we say, and the things that we do, cleanse us, O oh God, from all unrighteousness. Apply the blood of Jesus over our lives and as fathers allow us to be like you that we would be loving and kind and compassionate full of tender mercies oh God just as your word says allow us not to be anxious about anything God allow us to be humble the way you intend us to be Bless us and encourage us this day. Be with the fathers today, God. Not that are just here, but those that are represented at the Bridge Church, maybe that have out of town, vacation, that are away today, God. Meet them where they're at. Help the fathers. Be a father to the fatherless. Help us to be there for our community. Help us to be there for the orphans. And help us to be there for the widows. Just as your word says. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.